All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. How many of you know someone that is sick right now? It's, it's amazing how around the holidays, I guess it's because we're with people we're not normally with, and people get under the weather, but I'm so glad you all are here today. What a great crowd. It's a blessing to be able to study God's Word with you. Now, if you don't have a Bible with you, look under the chair in front of you. There should be a Bible there. We're going to be in the Scriptures a lot today. We're going to start at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're going to go through the Pauline epistles, those, those books written by the Apostle Paul. The Holy Spirit gave him the words, and we're going to be looking at what does Paul say about the cross. My message today is I'm thankful for the cross. I am thankful for the cross. So look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 17. The Bible says, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words. Look at what it says. Lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. First of all, I'm thankful that the cross is enough, that his sacrifice is enough. You know, there are a lot of churches that teach that you have to be baptized in order to be saved. The Apostle Paul in another place said that he, he, was, he was worried. He was jealous over the church at Corinth with a godly jealousy because he was afraid that Satan would send false teachers in and that they would be moved from the simplicity that is in Christ. And if they were removed from that simplicity, then their gospel would become less simple. The gospel would become more complicated. They would preach another Christ or another Holy Spirit. And the Apostle Paul was worried about that. And so what he emphasizes all through his writings is that the cross is enough. So notice what it says again in verse 17, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. Those who don't believe that the cross is enough, what does the Bible say about them? Two things, they're foolish and they're perishing. They're foolish and they're perishing. But look at what it says, not, or verse 17, for Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. We're going to get to verse 18 in a second. I, I read the wrong verse there. Not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. That doesn't mean we're not supposed to baptize. What that means is baptism is not a part of the gospel. The cross is enough. And I love the cross that, that Kevin made for us, and it's hung up here. You should have seen everything he did to get that done for us. He had this beam is over 100 years old. He made a cardboard uh, template to make sure it was the right size. It would hang in the right place. And what I like about this cross is it's just a rough hewn beam. And that's what Jesus Christ hung on. And when we look at that cross, we need to recognize that when Jesus Christ carried that cross, was nailed to that cross, cried, it is finished on that cross, that that's enough. Now, if we say that you must be baptized, remember what Jesus said to the thief on the cross? The thief on the cross said, Lord, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. And he said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. This day. They didn't get down off the cross and get baptized. Now, what some people teach is, well, he gave that, that, he gave, uh, that thief a special dispensation. No. 
No, because the man who preached the gospel of the death, burial, and resurrection, who identifies those components for us is the Apostle Paul. And Paul said, Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Because if you add baptism to it, it makes the cross of none effect. Listen, the cross plus baptism equals hell. The cross plus nothing equals salvation. So the cross is enough, but look at verse 18, it is also powerful. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. If you're saved, you have believed in the cross. If you are lost, it's foolishness. So you're saying, believing in that, look and live, look to Jesus now and live. Jesus said, if as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up. And if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. That's what Jesus Christ said. So if you're here this morning and you are lost, you are perishing, you have not trusted the cross alone, all you have to do is believe that it was enough and that he rose from the dead and you are saved. It's enough. It's sufficient, but it is also powerful Perishing and foolish or saved. Is that what it says? Perishing and foolish or saved. But to us, now notice what it says. You might have a Bible that says something different, but listen to what the Bible says. Verse 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but to us us which are saved, not which are being saved. We are saved. Right? But to us which are saved, it is the power of God. It is enough, and it is powerful. It's enough, and it is powerful. Look at the next passage. Go to Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1. I have ten statements about the cross today. The first one is it's enough. The second, it is powerful. And the third, it is offensive to religious legalists. The cross is offensive to religious legalists. What is a religious legalist? It's someone that believes you have to be saved by keeping a group of commandments. You have to give to the church. You have to be married. You have to be baptized. You have to take communion. You have to live a godly life. You you have to do this and do this and do this and do this. Salvation is either do or done. It's either what you do or it's what Christ has done. And according to the Bible, it's what Christ has done. And so the preaching of the cross is offensive to religious legalists. Look at what it says in verse 1. Stand, we're in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Stand fast, therefore. What does it mean to stand fast? Fastened. You're, you're there. You're not moving. You're, you're fastened to the truth. That's what it means. Stand fast, therefore, in the rules wherewith Christ. Is that what it says? What's it say? Y'all like that word? Wow. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us. What's that word? Everybody, what's that word? And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Man, I'm so glad I'm saved. I am so glad I'm saved. Um, 
Debbie Schmidtmeyer came from a church that said if you if you wore makeup, you weren't saved. So Doug stopped wearing makeup, and we're very thankful <laughs> for that. The, how many of you ever heard something like that? You know, it, ladies, if you cut your hair, you're not saved. Men, if you don't cut your hair, you're not saved. Right? Y'all ever been around people like that? That's not biblical at all. That's not liberty. That's bondage. And so what the passage says is, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Look at what it says in verse 7. Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? What's the truth? That salvation is through Christ alone and his death, burial, and resurrection. That's it. It's enough. And notice what happens. This is offensive. This preaching of the cross, it's offensive to religious legalists. Look at verse 11. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision. So this is he's talking to religious legalists here who were Christians, who were mixing Christian at Christ, Christianity, Christianity with Jewish legalism. So they're saying that you had to have a physical right, that there had to be a ceremony performed on your body in order for you to be saved. So notice what it says in verse 6. For in Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Salvation is by faith, not by religious ceremony. Now if you preach that, the religious legalists don't like it. Verse 11 again. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, so this is rhetorical because he doesn't preach it, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. The preaching of the cross is offensive to people that you need the cross plus something else. If I say it's Jesus alone, it's his sacrifice alone, if I say that's enough, if I believe it's enough, if I believe it's powerful, then that is offensive to religious legalists. Now, how do you want to get in good? If you want to get in good with a religious legalist, what should you do? Stop preaching that the cross is enough. So Paul says, if I'm, you're, some of you are accusing me of preaching that circumcision is necessary. If I was preaching that it's necessary, why are the Jews trying to kill me? Now, let's be very clear. We are not anti-Semitic. The, the Bible says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They are God's chosen people. The apostle Paul said he'd give up his own salvation if his brethren after the flesh, the Jews, would turn to Jesus Christ. That is our goal. That is our desire. Amen? And yet, this particular group of Jews wanted to kill the apostle Paul because he said, he said circumcision is not necessary. It is offensive to religious legalists. Because the cross is a place of liberty. So number one, it's enough. Number two, it's powerful. Number three, it is offensive to religious legalists. But notice, it is so interesting. The next time Paul talks about the cross, look at what he says. In chapter 6. Look at verse 12. As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh. In other words, that salvation is a visible thing. They constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. Because religious legalists hate the cross, 
you suffer persecution for believing that the cross is enough. That's what it says. But I want you to see something. There are two different groups of people in Christianity. They're the legalists. These are the people that say you've got to follow, you have this list of things that you must follow in order to be a Christian. There are another group of people that say away, as Francis Schaeffer said, away with all lists. Away with all lists. I can do whatever I want. I'm free. I have liberty. I can do whatever I want. Let's see what Paul says in the same passage. Look at verse 14. Why don't we read verse 12 again through 14. As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised, that they may glory in your flesh. They win by getting you to do something. Right? You see, they want glory. Look at my converts. Look at what this person did. You know, Mark Trotter talked about when he first got saved, he got a haircut, and they marched him around as a trophy because he got a haircut. They're glorying. Now, now look, just so there's no misunderstanding, are men supposed to have long hair? No. No, the Bible says shame for, does not nature show you? It's a shame for a man to have long hair. But people get crazy on it. The issue is that you look like a man. A man looks like a man. A woman looks like a woman, right? There's that Bob Seger song, Turn the Page, and one of the lines is that he wants to fight because people say, is that a woman or is it a man? Well, if you got to ask, you don't... You, come on, dummy. Why do you think they're saying it? Because you look like a woman. Okay, all right. And we were going so well. So... Some people say you got to cut your hair to get saved. Some people say if you don't cut your hair, you're not saved. That's legalism. There's some people say it doesn't matter what I do. I'm free in Jesus. Let's look at what the next passage says. The cross is a place of separation. Verse 14, but God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, so I'm not glorying in the guy that starts dressing right, lady starts dressing right, lady gets her hair, does her hair right, or whatever. Right? You understand what I'm saying right here? That's not my glory. My glory is the cross. Because that's what saves people. But notice, let's keep reading. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. See, what happens when I go to the cross and I believe that that's enough, what the Bible says is I am baptized, not by water, I am baptized by the Holy Spirit of God into Jesus Christ's death. In Romans chapter 6, it says it this way, buried in the likeness of his death, raised to walk in the newness of life. If I'm dead to sin, how can I walk anymore in the flesh? So at the cross, where I acknowledge Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and I say, your sacrifice is enough, what that means is now the world must be dead to me. That doesn't mean that you can't enjoy things. The Bible says he's given us all things freely to enjoy. You can enjoy a, a Thanksgiving dinner. 
You can enjoy some shopping and enjoy some fun in the world. But that can't be the reason that you live anymore. Amen? So there's two errors. There are the religious legalists, and then there are those who say, I can do whatever I want. Now, the simple fact is, if you're genuinely born again, you can do whatever you want and still go to heaven. Look, all you legalists got really uncomfortable when I said that. If you are genuinely born again, you can do whatever you want and still go to heaven. But I can promise you this, it's going to be a rocky ride. Because whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If you are a believer, living like an unbeliever, your life will be harder than the lost person living in his sin. But the Bible says you can be like a dog returning to his vomit. You understand that's how the Bible describes people who know the truth and go back into the world. They're a dog returning to his... How many of you ever seen a dog eat his vomit? Is that nasty? That is some nasty stuff right there. That's the way the Bible describes believers going back into the world. Amen? So, two errors, legalism and licentiousness, neither of those. God calls us to holiness, but your personal holiness does not save you. The only thing that can save you is the holiness and righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's it. So, I'm thankful for the cross because it's enough. It's powerful. It's offensive to religious legalists. It's a place of separation, but this is so good. It's also a place of reconciliation. Go to Ephesians, the next book. Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 1, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. So everybody that's quickened, you were dead in trespasses and sins. Quickened is made alive. You're born again. But drop down to verse 16 and look at what it says. You know, I, I, I have to read this other part. Verse 12, talking about Gentiles. That at that time, now hold, hold on. How many of you are a Gentile? Would you raise your hand? Okay. That that do we have any Jews in here? Any Jewish people? Man, I saw a guy on America's Got Talent or whatever. He came out and he said he's a Jewish comedian. And he said, I'm Jewish. What other Jews do we have? And a bunch of people raised their hand. He said, just kidding. Get them. Can you imagine? Now, here's the deal. For Jewish people, for centuries, that was their world. That was their world. That's not the way Christians behave. Amen? I mean, the joke was funny. I'm talking about the actual persecution. So, notice what this says in verse 12. That at that time, ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. So, understand that salvation is of the Jews. Christ had a chosen people. God had a chosen people, the Jews. And God sent them... And, and put them in Jerusalem. They were a shining city on a hill. They were supposed to be shining a light, a light that's under a bushel. You can't see, so don't hide your light under a bushel. That's what Israel was supposed to be to the world. They were supposed to, because of what God had done for them, the rest of the world was supposed to be drawn to God through Israel. And the way you came to God was by becoming a Jew. You understand that's what the Bible says. But then Jesus died on the cross. And now there's a difference. Verse 12 again. 
that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh, how? By the blood of Christ. For he is our peace who hath made both one, Jew and Gentile, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity. That's the war. That's the hostility. He abolished that. Even the law of commandments contained in ordinances. For to make in himself of twain, that's two, one, new man, so making peace and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body, how? By the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. Now, you'll, you'll see people, they, they call themselves Messianic Jews. These are Jewish people who have followed Christ. Praise God for any Jews that they lead to the Lord. Amen? Praise God for that. I was uh, in Israel with my friend Jay Ross. He had a Messianic Jewish friend who owned... Uh, uh, an old-style boat that they would take out onto the Sea of Galilee. And so he arranged for he and I to go out on that ship. And they, because it's a large ship, he couldn't just take us out. And so they had booked a, a, a cruise ship that was coming through the Mediterranean. People from that ship wanted to take a ride on the Sea of Galilee in this guy's boat. The, the, the captain looked at my friend Jay and said, do you want to say a word for the Lord? And Jay looked at me and said, you want to preach? And so I got to preach the gospel to a group of people from all over the world on the Sea of Galilee. Is that cool? And for an illustration, I got out and walked on the water. <laughs> this, guy was a me- this guy was a messianic Jew. Praise God, right? The only problem is in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek, Scythian, barbarian, We're one in Christ. We're Christians. Doesn't matter what your race is. Doesn't matter what your nationality is. None of that matters. It doesn't matter. We are one in Christ. He's broken down the partition. Isn't that good? We are one. We're one. There's no room for racism. There's no room for bigotry. There's no room for any of that because of the cross of Christ. He's reconciled us all into one. Praise the Lord for that. It is reconciling. But look look at what the cross requires, though. Go to Philippians. Next book, Philippians chapter 2. Look at verse 8. Talking about Christ. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross. The most humiliating thing in the world for Jesus Christ to do would be to go to the cross. Remember, they parted his garments, the holiest one of all, and and, and they, they cast lewd statements at him. They spat on him. But worse than any, worse than any of that was that he put all of my sin on him. That's how he humbled himself. And salvation can only come when you and I humble ourselves before the cross and say, thank you, Jesus, you did that for me. You did that for me. See, the cross requires humility. Now, the result of the cross will be humility. 
Look, look at what it says. Verse 8 again. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So it does require humility. And isn't it wonderful? How many of you have bowed before the Lord and, and received Christ? Would you raise your hand? You have humbled yourself. You've bowed before Jesus. And humbling, you, 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 every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess. Every one of them. You can do it now or you can do it later. You can do it now willingly. Or you can do it later unwillingly. You're going to do it. Might as well do it and receive the reward of eternal life. Because he loves you. He loves you. How could a loving God require people? How can a loving surgeon require you to have the surgery? He doesn't require you to do anything. If you want to live, have the surgery. If you want to die, don't have the surgery. If you want to live, bow. If you don't want to bow, then you can die. But our message of faith and love and hope, he did this for you so you can have life. It's a place of humility. But something that's very clear, when you preach like I am today, you will have enemies because the cross has enemies. Look at chapter 3, Philippians 3. Verse 10, that I may know him, Christ, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain the resurrection of the dead. Now look at what he says. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. I'm a sinner just like you, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. So I'm not perfect, but Jesus Christ has saved me. He, saved, he apprehended me. And so in his flesh, he's not perfect. But notice what happens as we read. Verse 13, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 15. Let us therefore as many as be perfect. Didn't he just say I'm not perfect? Why is he perfect? His old man, not perfect. His flesh. The new man in Christ is absolutely perfect. Isn't that good? You want to make enemies preach that. So look at what he says. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. So remember, if you're saved, walk like a saved person. Live like a saved person. Verse 17, brethren. Be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. So often we'll say, we'll point out someone's faithfulness, right? So Brent New is faithful, serves God, raising a godly family. 
Mark that. Notice that. Watch that. Right? Jim McDermott's faithful, loving his wife, doing right. Jeff Blackford. Eric is blank, Blaker, 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 Blanker. Which one? Blanker. Yeah. He, faithful. Watch his faithfulness. Comes from another country. Comes to the United States. Gets established. Gets involved in the word. Praise God for You see, see what we're doing? We're, we're marking people. Follow their faithfulness. Follow it. Follow that faithfulness. All right? So now look at what it says. Verse 18, why do we need to do that? For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame, who mind earthly things. You live righteously. All who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That's what the Bible says. You, you walk in a holy way. The people around you won't like it. You young people, when you're at school and you're trying to live in a godly way, well, the people around you aren't going to like it. That's just the way it is, and it doesn't change. As we live a godly life out in the world, the world's not going to like that. Amen? Just remember, they're not your enemy. They're enemies of the cross. They're enemies of the cross. But here's the good news. Go to Colossians chapter 1. You know, there are people who are looking for answers in everything. They're looking for it in science. They're looking for it in many ways. Notice what it says in verse 8, Colossians. Let's go to chapter 2, I'm sorry. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth... All the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. So Jesus Christ, he has, he is the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and he has revealed that to us. Look at what, how he did that. Verse 17, chapter 1 and verse 17. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, Jesus. He's the beginning of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. He's the first one to rise from the dead. He he raised others from the dead, but he is the first one to do it himself. That in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And look at what this one in whom all fullness dwells. Look at what he did. And having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things to himself by him. I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. Yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. (laughs) Peace. I don't know about you, but I I wrestle with past sin. I I wrestle with that. It's, It's, I'm embarrassed. I'm ashamed of it. You know what God says? I have given you peace. 
I have given you peace. Isn't it wonderful that when Jesus came, we're going to be celebrating it all Christmas, the, the, the wonderful counselor, everlasting father, the prince of peace. You can't have peace without the prince of peace. You can't have it. He, he is our peace. So the cross is enough. It's powerful. It's offensive to religious legalists. It's a place of separation. It is a place of reconciling. It, it requires humility. The, the preaching of the cross, it has enemies, and it's a place of peace. But I love this. Go to Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, made alive, Look at what it says, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way. What did he do with it? Nailing it to his cross. It is a place of complete forgiveness. I don't know about you guys. It's hard for me to forgive completely. I'll forgive, but I'm not going to forget. Right? You bury the hatchet, but you always remember where it's buried? Or you bury the hatchet in the back of somebody's head? <laughs> That's, was that kind of gory? Don't do that, guys. Don't do that. Oh, he's, he's made peace. He's, he's, he's forgiven all my trespasses. And there was an indictment written against me. A written indictment of all my trespasses. And Jesus nailed that to the cross. And all that writing, you know, you watch a TV show and you, you, they, they look for a document and they get it and it's redacted. It's all blacked out. The indictment that's written against me, the only thing you can see is James and then a whole bunch of stuff. It's not blacked out. It's black. It's, it's, it's written over with the blood of Jesus Christ. It's blotted out. And it's signed, Jesus. Nailed to his cross. Nailed to his cross. I'm thankful. I am thankful. Complete forgiveness. But let's finish with this. Hebrews chapter 12. Look at verse 2. The cross is a place of suffering for him and salvation for me. Look at what it says in verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is set down in the right hand of the throne of God. It's a place of suffering for Jesus. And as we've said over the last few weeks, it's a place of immeasurable, incomparable suffering. And he endured that. Not despised it. He hated every bit of the shame, but he took it for you and for me. Suffering for him, salvation for me. Now, you can choose to suffer. You can suffer in eternity and hell forever. And God is just in giving you that. But you don't have to do it. Wouldn't that be foolish? Right? The preaching of the cross is foolishness foolishness to the lost, but to us that believe it's the power of God unto salvation, or to those who are perishing, it's foolish. I'm so glad that the cross is a place of, uh, is so, he endured it, but it's a place of salvation for me. And I am very thankful 
that when I was 15 years old, I knelt before that cross and asked Jesus Christ to save me. Have you done that? Have you done that? Are are you a religious legalist that you believe you have to do all of this stuff? Well, the Bible says that that makes the cross have none effect. None. You're doing it for nothing. It's accomplishing you nothing. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. A place of suffering for him, a place of salvation for me. Folks, I'm thankful for the cross. Are you thankful for the cross? Amen. Let's all stand together. Lord Jesus, you are so good to us. Just in these few passages, we've learned so much about what you did for us on the cross. And maybe the most important thing for me is that it's enough and that it's powerful. Lord, you could have asked us to do so many different things, but you didn't. You said believe.